welcome to the show. So Casey Leaders is glad to have you here. Give me like a brief intro over who you are and what you do just right now. My name is Camry Ivory. I am an audiovisual musician and artist and the inventor of Coloratura, an audiovisual uh, paintbrush interface. On Instagram, my Instagram handle is coloratura.art, which is C-O-L-O-R-A-T-U-R-A. Uh, on Facebook, it's Coloratura Arts, same spelling, uh, just with an S at the end. Uh, and those are my main social media channels. YouTube is Camry Ivory. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, Coloratura. Tell us a little bit more about it. You're an audio visual artist. W- what does that mean for people who are listening to the show? Yeah, so I've kind of had to make up that moniker. Um, essentially, I started as a musician. I played a piano and sang for most of my life. And uh, one day I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if I could like, visualize my music in a tangible way? So there are plenty of other artists and musicians who have been using technology to do that, but usually they've been focusing on um, digital art. So there's a digital interface, you create digital music, and then there is a digital um, manifestation of, of your visual work. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if like you could actually touch your music, if you could hold it in your hand, if you could use just a regular paintbrush and use regular paint to create something that could last longer than... Um, like the ephemeral nature of music. And so I assumed that someone had already developed something like that. And there were a few other artists and musicians who had done something a little bit similar. Um, But what I wanted to do was to really explore the relationship between color and sound. So um, I assigned um, a different color to a different musical note. And then um, with the interface, it's, it's made up of 12 paintbrushes. And so every paintbrush plays a different note in the musical scale. And then I've assigned it to that color that I mentioned before. So when you touch the brush to the canvas, um, you get to hear essentially what that color sounds like. And that kind of changes the trajectory of the piece that one would create. I originally met you at the Casey Folk Fest. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was instantly drawn to what you were doing. And I said, man, this is really, this is really, really cool. It's very different. I've never seen it quite like it. Um, Just uh, digital art. Going back out, I met Jiren Lanier years ago, uh, the guy who apparently coined the term virtual reality years ago. He's one of the first people at Apple years ago and um, met him. And he was doing stuff in the digital space, I think almost even 20 years ago. And, uh, but, but I hadn't seen anybody doing anything that, that incorporated actual kind of performance art at the same time while generating music in a way that it, it was just very different, you know, actually generating art. It was usually, you're right. Usually it was, it's usually music first, you, you play an instrument or whatever it is. And then there's some kind of digital interpreter uh, just like a sound wave, you know, can be used into creating some kind of fractal imagery or something like that. But it wasn't like generating something from the art side first. So how did you kind of come upon this idea? Um, it, it kind of was uh, the culmination of a, a lot of different ideas all at once. Um, so it all really happened in 2014 or 2015. Um, back in, uh, I guess, 2012 is when it started. Kansas City used to have uh, the Kansas City Maker Fair at Union Station. I don't believe they've brought it back since, um, uh, you know, in the post-COVID world that we're in. Um, although we're still kind of in COVID, right? <laughs> but um, I went there in 2013 and 2014 and got exposed to kind of the maker community and learned about Raspberry Pis and Arduinos and Mickey Makeys and all sorts of things. And so that kind of um, got my brain thinking about different ways to incorporate technology into 
uh, different projects that I had kind of bouncing around my brain. Um, during that same period of time, I also learned about the neurological phenomena of synesthesia. So people who are able to um, hear sound or, sorry, not hear sound, hear color or um, see sound or they have uh, overlapping uh, sensory experiences. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if there are a way to use technology to kind of um, simulate that experience for everyone who may not already naturally have synesthesia? Um, and so I um, had this opportunity to perform with this organization called Art in the Loop, or it's a performance series called Art in the Loop. They still have it, it's with um, the downtown Kansas City Council. And essentially, they have uh, visual and performing artists create um, pieces for um, basically it's like a summer series of, of performances and installation art. And I thought, well, let me try and apply for this grant to maybe uh, build this musical paintbrush idea I had in my mind. I didn't think that I would actually get the grant, um, but I did. And they said, you have seven weeks to take this from this idea in your brain to doing a fully fleshed out 30 minute performance. And so it was a, a mad dash to get it done, um, but, but we did it. And essentially after that first performance, I literally just took paintbrushes from the, the art store and wrapped wire around them and connected them to a circuit board and, and hoped for the best. It's obviously uh, matured quite a bit since then. No, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's an amazing, I think it's an amazing um, idea and, and product. So um, kind of moving from that a little bit to uh, tell us a little bit, just for the, the listeners in the audience, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up in Kansas City? Well, um, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, but um, my family moved to Kansas City when I was three. Uh, my father was in air traffic controlling. And so MCI was here. Kansas City Airport was here. Um, but my family was really looking for um, a community that was... Um, affordable, but offered really great educational opportunities. Um, so I grew up in Johnson County and I went to um, the Shawnee Mission and Blue Valley School Districts, which are some of the best uh, in the state, if not the entire country, as far as public schools go. They really valued um, education and wanted to make sure I had the best opportunities possible. Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful for them for that. Um, I went to school at the University of Missouri, Columbia, a couple hours away from here, uh, studied Spanish and linguistics. And then um, I had the opportunity to come back and work with uh, Missouri College Advising Corps, which is similar to Teach for America. But instead of teaching, we're college advisors for students in low-income areas. And so we provide college advising support and help them just kind of create a college-going culture in, in their school. So that's what brought me back to Kansas City. Um, I had plans to move very far away from here. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I got this job for a couple of years and just kind of fell in love with Kansas City. And I started to see it grow and evolve in a way that it really um, that it hadn't really existed when I was there as a as a child and as a teenager. Um, I think it was a 2010, 2011. Google Fiber um, decided to choose Kansas City, Kansas specifically, but then the greater metro area um, as their their hub for their, their first hub um, for the Google Fiber project. And that put so many eyeballs on Kansas City. Internationally, people were saying, well, why did they choose this city? What's so great about Kansas City? Isn't it just cows and cornfields? And and that's what a lot of people thought about Kansas City. Um, most of my life when I would travel different places and I told people I was from Kansas City, 
I would usually hear like, oh, well, you're not on Candace anymore. Or like, where's Dorothy? Or you take a tractor to go to school. Like these are like legitimate things that people would say to me because Kansas City just was kind of a, a sleepy town. Um, but because of, you know, the spotlight that Google Fiber shone on our city and because of, you know, the startups and entrepreneurs um, that moved to Kansas City because of that, there was a revitalization in this city um, that kind of spilled out into many other um, industries and, and sectors. It's it's really interesting to see kind of what's happened. I mean, now we've got, I mean, the World Cup's coming here next year. Um, that's truly an international um, scene. And um, just a whole bunch of things. I mean, I've only been in Kansas City for, you know, the better part of a year now. And I, I really think this city's going places. Um and it's funny to think about, you know, Google Fiber being, you know, because I, I, I move here and then I'm hearing about Meta buying, you know, a thousand acres in the, the north, northern part of the city. And uh, I was like, man, there's a lot of things going on here. It's kind of incredible. Um, so how did you get into, okay, so you said your background is in, um, you're a, you're a musician? Musician. Okay. Yes. So tell me, tell me about that. And then, you know. What led you to Coloratura? You, you talked a little bit about synesthesia and these other things. Yeah. So uh, to, let's talk about the musician part of your background. So I grew up, I did not grow up in a musical family. Um, I found the piano at a young age. I really fell in love with Tori Amos of all people. I don't know if we have any Tori Amos fans listening, but I just really loved her style of music and Sarah McLaughlin. I'm very much a child of, of the 90s. Uh, so I just loved music and I loved the way that they were able to use their music to express themselves in a, just this raw and vulnerable way. And so for most of my life from eight years old until like my mid twenties, my genre was kind of sad girl on a piano uh, when I played music. Um, but I also got involved in a, a lot of musical projects here in Kansas city. Uh, one of the great things about Kansas city is that it is so collaborative and relatively easy to find people to, um, be involved in your own musical projects or to jump in on other people's musical projects. So when I moved back after college, um, I was in an indie pop band. I was in a Latin jazz ensemble. Uh, I've done a David Bowie tribute for several years. Um, I'm in a Talking Heads tribute band that's gone on for 11 years, 12 years, I think, at this point. Um, and so I love music. It's always been a really important way for me to express myself, but I also feel that it's sometimes one dimensional and that you're really only, you're primarily engaging yourself and your audience on the auditory plane, right? So you're listening to what this musician has to say. Um, but for me, I, I, I describe myself as extra as um, a term that I use in the guess the young people say extra, but it just means I just love to take things to the next level. I'm always looking for ways to just make things a little bit better and a little bit more um, engaged, involved. I just want to create like multi-sensory experiences for people. And so um, when I would have musical performances, I was always looking for ways to add visual elements. So it was costumes or choreography or you know, projections or light shows, which are all really great. Um, but they're also, they're limiting because they require a lot of um, planning and preparation. So you really can't be as improvisational as you could if you were just musicians kind of vibing together. The, the beauty of, of 
you know, being in a musical ensemble, especially like with my jazz background, is if we were really feeling a particular part of the of the song, or if we were feeding off the audience's energy, we could just kind of riff and go from there and not stick to the pre-planned song. Um, but if you have light cues and sound cues and choreography, you can't do that as fluidly. And so I I I was longing for this way to combine like the visit the visual spectacle of a of a live performance with the intimacy of like a a solo performance. And I thought that maybe an ideal way to do that would be to be able to create music and art at the same time as one person versus relying on um, other people to do cues for me or other people to create uh, choreography or costumes for me. When, um, when we ran into you at the festival, one of the things we noticed is that it wasn't just children, you know, who were kind of drawn to it. There were adults over at your, your, your station and your booth experiencing it. Have you, have you seen that it's kind of uh, cross-generational? Like it doesn't matter where people come from, that they're attracted to the color tura? I would hope so. Like that's the goal. Um, initially when I started this project, I just designed it for me as my own performance piece. I didn't think that, not that I wasn't thinking about other people, but I didn't know that it would resonate with people so much. When I did that first performance with Art in the Loop that I mentioned um, before, uh, my performance was 30 minutes, but I spent another hour outside just letting people experiment with the paintbrushes and create their own art. And so um, when I met you, I that was um, at the KC Folk Fest, and they invited me not to perform, but to just have the paintbrushes out for people to interact with and to create their own art and their own music. And that has primarily been um, the way that I've engaged with Coloratura for the past almost year. Um, I think that there is um, an element of play kind of deeply embedded within the just the nature of the project that you don't normally get in settings. I feel like Normally when people interact with art or music, it's in a certain way. Like I am watching this person create this art and I am over here as an audience member and never the twain shall meet, right? There is this barrier. I think also a lot of people have these preconceived notions of what it means to be an artist or a musician. And they think, oh, if I, I didn't go to art school. I never took piano lessons. I cannot be a creator in this particular way. And my goal now is to help everyone realize that doesn't matter what your training is, what your background is, you still have the the capacity to play and create. And it's not necessarily about creating a masterpiece. It's being engaged in the process of art, the process of creation that makes you a creator. And so a lot of times when people see my uh, paintbrushes set out, they think, oh, that's so great for kids. They automatically go to that. This is great for kids. Let's put it in the classrooms. And yes, that's true. It is great for kids. They love it. But I think it's more important that adults use it because we don't have opportunities to just have judgment-free experiences and judgment-free creativity. Um, people are often afraid, adults are often afraid to pick up a paintbrush and use it because they say, I don't know how to paint. And I say, I don't know how to paint either. Like I'm learning as I go along. Um, but I think having the opportunity to just express yourself freely without judgment, without um, any fear of what the end result will be, we need more experiences like that in our life and because it helps us grow. 
um, in my other life, um, I run a digital marketing agency mm -hmm. and uh, we've done experiments where we do brainstorming sessions with people. And one of the first things we do is we bring in groups of adults and we have tables covered with, you know, pipe cleaners and silly string and plate or things that kids play with when they're five. Mm -hmm. And it's really odd to watch the people, the adults be paralyzed when they sit yeah. down at the table for about the first five minutes. And then if you walk out of the room and you watch them through like a two-way mirror or something outside the room, after about five minutes, some of them get brave and they start playing with it. And after about 15 minutes of sitting in there, because we, we intentionally delay the process of meeting with them and going through it, mm. you'll find them playing with it like they're five again. And uh, I think it was Aristotle or Plato once said, you can learn more about a person in uh, five minutes of play than in a lifetime of conversation. Mm. And uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. I, I just was curious. And I, and I think Hilator, I think uh, what you said, yeah. I, I can see them saying, oh, yeah, this is great for kids, but I think it, it's really good for adults, too. And I think it could break down those barriers, too. You've created it in such a way that when they make paint on it, when they paint these, these things, it makes beautiful music really irrespective of what they know that they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that's that's that was that was planned, I'm assuming, into your song. Yes, I, you built. I do have some uh, some gutters, right, mm -hmm. up to, you know, prevent people from falling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the paintbrushes are tuned in such a way that you really can't play a mm -hmm. wrong note. I, I learned that the hard way. Um, the first time I had it set up, uh, everyone could play every note in the musical scale. Mm -hmm. And that got a little chaotic real fast. Um, but essentially, yeah, I just want to create a safe space for people to just play. And if you don't know how to paint, then just listen to the sounds and let that guide you. Um, it's really interesting I think that most people, when they see a paintbrush, they think, oh, I have to focus on like my visual output. What is this going to look like? But it's always interesting to meet people. And this doesn't happen as often as I would like. It's kind of a rare experience. But I do usually find someone who sees it as an instrument first, mm. more so than a tool for visual creation. And so they will usually immediately pick up two or three paintbrushes in one hand or two hands and just kind of play around with the sounds and explore what sounds are these colors making. And I love it when people do that because it's so non-traditional. It's such an unusual way to think about a paintbrush or to think about like the creation of, of art at all to focus on that, that auditory output. And so I get really excited when I meet people like that because I think, okay, you, you are thinking outside of the box or you, we are in a similar wavelength because that's how I approach my pieces. Um, I start thinking about what is this going to sound like? But in the process, um, because I'm seeing that visual output, I'm seeing the colors on the canvas, then my brain kind of switches back and forth between between the two worlds. And it it's it's kind of a trippy experience. Uh kind of brings me to my next question. So in in what ways are you, through your art, through your music, what ways are you helping contribute to making Kansas City a better place to, you know, live, play and work? Um, with this project, I think that I am kind of combining these very vibrant communities that don't often intersect. So there's the visual arts world and then there's the performing arts world of the musical world. And then there's a the technology space. And uh, I'm a huge component of STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts and math. Um, I think that the arts need the sciences and the science needs the art. One adds um, meaning, the other adds process. And so I think that there is a lot of opportunity for these disparate sectors to work together, um, but they may not always know 
you know, what projects are the others working on or what are the needs of the artist community that the technology community can assist with and vice versa. So I'm hopeful that this project can start to be um, a, a gateway into having more of those conversations and finding more ways for those communities to come together and intersect. Uh, what is one initiative or project that you're particularly proud of and why? I mean, Color Tour is mm-hmm. part of it, right? Is there something else that you've been involved with with this project that you're really excited about? Um, not with this project per se, but something that I started pre-pandemic and I'm hoping to bring back. Um, so in, in 2015, 2016, I started, uh, I guess you could call it a performance series called Strawberry Jam. Mm-hmm. We just started at our home, um, but essentially it was a potluck brunch slash open mic slash jam session. And we had between 50 to 70 people come through every time we hosted it. And then we brought together some of the best musicians in Kansas City with people who had never gone to a concert before. Uh, and we had had it usually quarterly. And every time I met someone new in Kansas City or just made a new friend, I said, please come to our Strawberry Jam. If you want to get introduced to the music scene in Kansas City, but maybe you're not the type of person that's going to go out to a bar on a Friday night at nine o'clock to see a band, um, you may be able to see some of the best musicians in Kansas City at my house and eat some delicious biscuits, you know, in the process. And so that was um, really an innovative way of, again, building community and connecting disparate communities together. Ended obviously during the pandemic and I haven't quite found a way to bring that back. I'm still looking for a space, but that's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of actually outside of Coloratura. Okay. So um, for those of you listeners out here, uh, Camry Ivory needs a space <laughs> for a strawberry jam to bring yes. that back to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can collaborate on that and help find something else, you know, post, uh, post podcast on that. Um, so flipping a little bit over to, to Kansas City, some questions about that. You've been involved in this space. You grew up here. You've been in Kansas City since you were three, mm-hmm. um, except for a brief period of time when you went off to college yes. et and came back. So what do you see right now as unique opportunities or challenges for Kansas City in the coming years? I think it's a challenge that you know every city in America is facing and that like the cost of everything is increasing, the cost of living commercial real estate, everything. And one of the great things about Kansas City that has made it such um, an incubator city and a hub for the arts is that we did have low cost of living. So you could be an artist and you didn't have to work a full-time day job, you know, just to make ends meet. Um, You still could have excess time and creative energy to work on your your creative projects. getting a a studio space or finding a venue to host whatever your project was, was a little bit easier because there were lots of um, legitimate and maybe not so legitimate places that you could go to host whatever sort of event you needed to. And, you know, um, throughout the pandemic, we've had um, a lot of, um, a lot of folks moving to Kansas city and investing in Kansas city, which is fantastic. Uh, But at the same time, the cost of, of of everything has gone up. And so I have noticed, like even as myself as an artist, trying to just find a studio space has been really difficult. Um, some spaces closed during the pandemic and those opportunities for artists were no longer. Um, or the spaces that were there, their prices have increased. And so um, as I look at other cities, I just read a Forbes uh, magazine article this week where St. Louis was highlighted as being this 
having a really fantastic um, arts community. And one of the reasons they noted that St. Louis was so um, was so particularly good at nurturing the arts is because uh, the Kranzenberg Foundation invested in infrastructure and invested in real estate and building up spaces for these individual artists and arts organizations so that they could focus their time and money on doing what they do best, which is supporting artists and not sending all that money to rent and utilities and things like that. Um, and so we do have organizations in Kansas City that are doing that. Um, the Inglewood Arts Center in Independence, um, Charlotte Street Foundation in uh, Midtown Kansas City. So they're great, great uh, opportunities to do that, but we're still building. And if we don't continue to intentionally invest in artists and invest in the infrastructure of an arts community, then we will no longer have an arts community. One of the um, things that attracted me to Kansas City in particular is that they do have a certain amount of the uh, the tax base that goes to supporting the arts. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how that is used currently. Um, I do know that like the, the Kansas City Hearts Projects was partly funded mm -hmm. by that. And I, I thought that was kind of a good thing to help bring the community together, et cetera, like that. So are there people in the in the community who should be paying attention right now or should be should we be taking a, a page kind of out of St. Louis's book? I mean, I hate to do that, but you know, at the same time, it's it's if they're doing something better than us, what can we learn from them and what can we build upon from that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like the organizations that I mentioned before, they're they're doing the work. I know that we are doing the work in Kansas City. And another great organization is Arts KC, um, which was one of the first um donors or funders of my coloratura project without them this project and many other artistic projects would not exist um so they're working and i won't talk a lot about it because i feel like it's it's their story to tell um but they're working on something called the neuro arts blueprint which is essentially um understanding that art is not just capital a art like something you see in a museum or a gallery or you know at an opera that art needs to be integrated holistically throughout the entire community that it needs to be you know, deeply infused within our healthcare system, our education system, our infrastructure, um, and helping everyone understand that art is not just something that you do or observe, that it's a part of who we are as human beings. And once you have that approach to art, it changes the way that you invest in it. Um, I think that even like with the, the new airport, I don't know if you've had a chance to yes. go through it was, I loved the intentionality of it. I loved that they incorporated so many local artists, um, not just visual artists, but culinary artists. The restaurants are all local. And that, that requires a lot of, of planning and, and a forethought, but I, I think it manifested beautifully. And I hope that as there are new initiatives in Kansas City, that they, um, they incorporate the arts as much as possible. Um. So how do you approach uh, collaboration and fostering unity within the community? Um, from a personal perspective, it's just being really vulnerable and just talking to as many people as possible and, and taking advantage of as many opportunities as possible. So I am out in the streets all the time. So Casey Folk Fest is at me. I've done first Fridays, third Fridays. I am just um, trying to be where the people are. I mentioned before, I use that term a lot, capital A art. Uh, I kind of use that as shorthand for like to explore or explain like the divide between the fine arts and just just your average everyday person. Um, I, I think that 
obviously museums, galleries play an important role in um, in our culture and in our community specifically, but that is not the only way to engage with art. Um, and so for me, I think if you're going to, if I'm going to collaborate, I don't want to just live in the visual arts world. I don't want to live in just the musical world. I'm always trying to find ways to bridge that gap and connect with people who I feel are kind of simpatico, who are maybe similarly, um, similar weirdos, I guess, <laughs> like on a similar weird wavelength and open to trying new things. Well, you said you are in a Talking Heads tribute band. I am, so, yeah. Um, I don't know how David would feel about that, but... I uh, think he's a similar weirdo, yeah, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, if anybody's seen Stop Making Sense, you know, it's kind of like one of the best uh, concert uh, videos I think ever put together. Yes. Um, that's my personal, I'll die on that hill. But, uh, I agree, and we recreate it every year. Do you really? We do, top to bottom, big suit and all. When do you do that? So usually it's uh, around Thanksgiving holiday, so usually the day before or day after. Okay, uh, definitely we'll be promoting that. Yes, um, that's, <laughs> thank you. That sounds awesome. No, that, mm -hmm. that, that would be a great thing to get involved in. Um, I want to ask you about a personal experience or lesson that has significantly shaped your perspective on things. Yeah, I have been thinking about that question since you gave me that. Um, I I can't I can't answer that. Is that okay? Oh, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to. Yeah, I can't think of like one solid one. Well, I, you know, it's it's always one of those things. Sometimes there's that galvanizing kind of lightning out of a bottom moment, but mm -hmm. you don't have to have that. Yeah. Um, what is one actionable piece of advice you'd like to share with people listening? Like, how could they be involved? How mm -hmm. could they help support you or support support other people in the arts to help make Kansas City a better place to live, work, and play? Yeah, that's another great question. I so I as I mentioned before, um, Arts KC is one of the organizations that funded Coloratura in its initial stages, and they are working on creating just a large directory of um, arts organizations, individual artists, and a calendar of artistic experiences. I would say definitely sign up for their newsletters um, because I, I, as one person, like. I can tell you to go to this venue or that venue and check this out. But I think that there does have to be a concerted effort um, to collect um, all of the different arts experiences in one place. Um, social media can do that. But, you know, again, you're kind of um, at the whims of the algorithm as to what you see and do not see. And so I think they're doing a fantastic job in trying to collect all those in one place. So um, check out their website, artskc.org. Um, sign up for their newsletter, follow them on social media. Um, and they can point you to so many different other organizations that are aligned with your interests. And is that really how you stay kind of connected and engaged in the community? Is that one of the things you use or is it another thing you do as well? It's it's one of the things that I do. It's a good place to start. I, I don't know if I would recommend doing what I do. <laughs> I think I just am just constantly trying to stay in... I guess you can call it FaceTime. So I'm mm -hmm. out in the community a lot. I'm going to a lot of events and talking to people, uh, especially if I see something that's a little bit off the beaten path. Um, I think one of the one of the great things about Kansas City is that we do have a lot of um, solid tradition. You know, people who are carrying on the tradition of you know folk music and jazz and and country music, and that is fantastic because they are. Um, beautiful traditions that are in part rooted here in our in our region and in our city specifically with jazz. 
Um, but I always love it when people are taking those traditions and kind of tweaking them a little bit and just making them uh, a little bit different. So we're not just repeating what's been done for the past hundred years. But not that there's anything wrong with that. But um, I think it's important to invest time and energy and people who are pushing the envelope as well. Uh, what do you love most about Kansas City and what makes it stand out nationally? Um, I think what I love most about Kansas City is that it's so collaborative. Like, there's such a spirit and a community of collaboration here. So I say that like I came back to Kansas City uh, after college. I didn't really have any experience, but I was able to, you know, within a couple of years, perform on stage with people who had Grammys and who had PhDs in music and who were really um, passionate about their craft. And it's not because I was a particularly talented person. I think it's because they were willing to give me a shot. And I, I love that there are so many opportunities to get involved with relatively low barriers to entry. If you want to start a band, just like hop on Craigslist or, you know, Facebook and, and, uh, and find people. And there's an incredibly talented group of, of people here. I think one thing um, that's really beneficial, I guess, for the, the visual arts and, and music space is that we have the Kansas City Art Institute and the UMKC Conservatory literally like blocks away from each other. So you have world-class artists and world-class musicians in a, a very um, affordable, comfortable space. I think of Kansas City kind of as an incubator you can start here build a community hone your chops and then go wherever you want we've had great artists who started here and who are now in LA and New York and Paris and when they come home to visit or if they want to come home just to you know start a family they're still welcomed with open arms it isn't like oh you went to LA and you couldn't make it I guess you're back in Kansas City that is that's not the vibe at all um it's welcome back let's learn from you um so you really get the best of both worlds here. Um, you said that people could start bands. I've heard that finding drummers is next to impossible. Uh, is that not true in Kansas City? Well, my husband's a drummer, so well, <laughs> and he gets yeah. asked to play drums a lot. He does also say no a lot. Um, so you could you could probably find some drummers. Finding a good drummer. Think maybe that's. I, I've, I've heard the joke of, is that drummers usually say, "No, I can't help you. I'm mm -hmm. already in three bands." Yes, that's yeah. That's kind of so. How many how many bands is your husband in right now? Officially two, but you know he. So picks there's up, still a chance. There's, there's still, still a spot. A chance, there's one. Maybe one more he could be into. Maybe, okay. but he's also helping build Coloratura, which oh, is a wow. job in and of itself. Got it. So all right, so yeah. we'll, we'll let him off the hook for that. Yes. So. Um, are there any local leaders or influencers in Kansas City who really inspire you? Um, that's such a great question. And at first I didn't want to answer it because there are too many people, mm. but the person that first came to mind is, uh, Mark Manning. So he is, um, such a champion of local music. So he has a radio show on KKFI and 90.1, uh, which is community radio. It's called Wednesday Midday Music Medley. And every week he profiles local artists and he invites them on the show and plays their music. He promotes their events. He goes to the events and takes lovely photography and has just been such a, such a champion and such an advocate for the local music scene um, for decades now. And was one of the first people I met in Kansas City that kind of introduced me to the local music scene. All right. 
Yeah. Very cool. Maybe we can reach out to him and see if he's he want to come on. He's a gem. Um, how do you see the future of Kansas City playing out and what role do you want to play in that future? As I mentioned before, um, Arts KC and several other organizations are working on uh, something called the Neuro Arts Blueprint, which we're integrating arts into all parts of the, the infrastructure of Kansas City. And I think that 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 has the potential to really, um, really revolutionize Kansas City. Um, one of the, the trickiest parts of being an artist, being a musician in Kansas City, and being specifically a person of color is addressing the racial divide. Um, so I am uh, I'm black. I'm a black woman. I've been in the music scene for over a decade, but it's very rare that I share a stage with black musicians. Mm. Um, it wasn't until 2019, 2020 that I was in a regular band with other black musicians. Uh, not that they're not there. They're obviously there, but um, we were playing in different genres, but also like there is this weird racial divide in Kansas City that permeates so many different sectors. Um, I think it's so weird when you know Kansas City is so well known for its jazz scene, but most people are sent to mostly white clubs. If you ask for a recommendation for good jazz in Kansas City, people are going to say some of the clubs that are west of Troost instead of the ones that are east of Troost, even though east of Troost is like where jazz was born. And so. You know, dealing with that and reconciling with that, I think that if we really want to have a community that is truly invested in the arts and art is integrated into all sectors of our of our city, of our community, we also have to address that racial divide as well. Because if you're only going to promote a certain type of art, then you're never going, it's not going to be integrated throughout the community. We have to create um, equal or equitable platforms for all people, um, because we are all Kansas Cityans, regardless of which side of truce we live on. It's a very important point that you bring up here, especially, um, you know, it's it's how do you how do you improve all parts of the city? How do you improve? Um, and, and I understand I'm not from here, but I've learned, learned that truce is one of those streets that in the city is kind of like a dividing line, yes. if I'm correct. Yes. Okay? And so and I would hear people reference that. And I, and I, I think for like two or three months, I had no idea what they were talking. Ah. And uh, and you, you would people would say things and it's like coded language sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. They're like, oh, that's, you know, east of truce or whatever it is. And um, is that correct? I don't know yes. how it works. I don't know what that means. Really, but um, and it's just and and it's really interesting for me because um, I've lived in other places and other larger metros. You know, I'm, I'm originally from the Atlanta, Georgia area, and it's a, a massive metropolitan area, which you cannot go from end to end of the city in 30 minutes. It's like two and a half hours, and it's really different. And so people have said, "Oh, well, that's across the river, or that's in the mm. Northlands, or that's in, you know." Overland Park or OP, I think as some people call it, right? Mm-hmm. Or or you'll hear even the sometimes people will say things like, oh, that's in Kansas or that's Missouri. And and it, it's really funny. It's like people are sniping at each other. And I don't think that happens a lot, but there's definitely some of that here. And so um the point about it is though, is at the end of the day, is that how do we uh 
understand as Kansas Cityans, like, you know, it's it's that old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats, mm-hmm. you know, but you can't neglect. I, I don't think that happens. I think you have to do that intentionally. Yes. And my, my challenge with it is, and I'd like to say a rising tide lifts all boats, but the reality of it is, is that, yeah, but what if they don't have boats in that area? Right. right? Or if their boats have holes in them. Exactly. Gotta so, fix the so, holes. And, and so my question on this is like, how do we be more intentional about doing that? Uh, I think part of it is you got to call it out. Um, you've got to admit that there are challenges. And any great city wrestles with these challenges. And if you're smart about it, you solve them in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, I think absolutely, you know, bringing the communities together. I think, I think art is one of those things that should bridge divides no matter what. Um, and so I don't know, are there, are there initiatives you think currently you're taking that kind of head on that you would really say, Hey, I think these people are doing, are fighting the good fight or doing the worthy work. I don't know if I have enough information to answer that question. Unfortunately. Um, I will say that, um, almost every art organization that I know of has been very intentional, especially post pandemic and providing support specifically for underrepresented populations. Mm -hmm. Um, They have sent out calls for grants um, specifically targeting communities or uh, people from communities of color. Um, They have been intentional about making sure that their grant recipients, you know, are representative of the population of Kansas city demographically. Um, And so I I think especially in spaces that have been, um, traditionally affluent, traditionally white, they are doing things to make the space more open to all. I'll give you a great example. Um, Last week, uh, Casey Lyric Opera partnered with No Divide KC, which is an organization that is uh, designed to support and empower um, artists of LGBTQ artists. And so this No Divide event, this Come As You Are event, rather, they had uh, traditional uh, traditional composers who had their pieces performed with, you know, just traditional uh, opera singers. And then they also invited, um, let's see, uh, s- music by Skippy, who's a beatbox artist. We had Hadiza, who does um, like black gothic uh, music. Um, and then Jade Green, who is a, a phenomenal um, R&B and hip hop artist. And so... Uh, just being able to have an, you know, a, a concert experience where you had traditional, traditional contemporary music, but then also like cutting edge pop music. I don't want to call it pop music. Um, what's the, the right word for it? Uh, just amazing. I don't know. It was the music of the people. Like it was real. It was raw. It was beautiful. And that was performed at, you know, a Kansas City Opera House. And it was important that they ha- they shared that stage. It was important that they had equal footing because their music is just as relevant, if not more so, than the music of the traditional composers. Um, and there, there shouldn't be a divide between the two. Why should you have to go to one place to see this type of music and another to see another type of music? Why can't we just all share a similar billing? Um, not to ask a divisive question. Go for it. But I've got to. Um, Kansas City barbecue. <laughs> all right, it's yes. a it's a question. And it's a question. I, from what I understand is that all Kansas Cityans, whether they eat barbecue, I guess they all eat barbecue at some level. Um, they'll eat the sauce at least. They'll, they'll eat the sauce. Yeah. That's right. 
So I'm going to ask you the question. Yes. Best barbecue in Kansas City, where, why, and what? So that is a complicated question because it depends on what you're going for. Okay. So if, like for Burton's, which I feel like are the quintessential Kansas City meats, I love Elsie's off of Blue Parkway. It doesn't get mentioned a lot, but I think they have the best Burton's in Kansas City. Uh, as far as sauce, I like Casey Joe's, but I grew up on Gates Barbecue. Uh-huh. And so much so that when I went to college, I took a little bottle of Gates Barbecue with me. And whenever I got homesick, I would sm- I wouldn't eat it because if I ate it, then I w- it would be gone. But I would just <laughs> smell it. <laughs> and that just made me feel like, oh, yeah, it feels like Kansas City. So Elsie's? Elsie's. Yes, for burn-ins. So we will we will definitely put links to Elsie's. And yes. everything else has been mentioned in this episode. We're going to put down below the mm-hmm. listings online. So whether you're watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast right now on Spotify, Apple, Google, et cetera, where you consume your podcasts, we're going to make sure those relevant links and information are there for both uh, Coloratura, et cetera. Um, are there any other local events and organizations and places that you think people should need to know about or need to check out here in Kansas City? I mentioned Arts KC. Um, Charlotte Street Foundation is also doing excellent work in that space um, with both visual and um, performing artists. Um, I do want to give another shout out to Inglewood Arts. So they're based in Independence and they're actually kind of creating like an arts district. So they mm-hmm. have uh, zoned uh, specific uh, residential neighborhoods and created the, um, essentially a um, a subsidy to make those neighborhoods more affordable for artists or those houses more affordable for artists. Um, they have a beautiful uh, multi-purpose center where they have artist studios and performing space, um, glass blowing facilities. Uh, they're really just trying to ramp up this area and, and intentionally designate it as a place for artists. Um, it's just, you know, it's just east of downtown in the past, it used to be connected um, by trolley to downtown, but of course, with the advent of cars, the, the trolley system in Kansas City kind of um, began to erode. So I, I'm really fascinated to see what they continue to do in that space. And I hope that um, if, it, if and when it is successful, that there are other neighborhoods in Kansas City that can adopt that model as well. Kind of as a blueprint for yeah. how they can develop things out. Exactly. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners, the final question is, how can they get involved or support your initiatives? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely check out my website, uh, coloratura-art.com. And uh, you can sign up on my, on my newsletter and follow me on social media. Um, I really do want to just break down all these weird barriers that we have between you know, visual arts and musical arts and technology and just art in general, the barriers we have between uh, creators and observers. Uh, I just think that everyone should have the opportunity to see themselves as creators. And I think that my project is really um, designed to promote that. Um, I'm, I left my full-time job to pursue it. So uh, if people are feeling so inclined to um, invest time or money or energy into helping this project continue to grow, I will never say no to that. Yes. So again, I want to do a big thank you to Camry Ivory for being on thanks the show today. Me. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. This was yeah. great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the KC Leaders Podcast. Please remember to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen. For more information about this podcast, you can visit kcleaderspodcast.com. 
And don't forget to check out our other great podcasts like The Buck Stops Here, streaming now on all major platforms and at thebuckstopsherepodcast.com.